You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. We're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg... This is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome to Killer Bees, episode five. Staying alive at five. <laughs> we are here in 2021. It's been a month since you've heard my voice. Um, you got to listen to Keelan on the Mothership Triple uh, S podcast with uh, Brett, I believe, three weeks ago. Yes. About Twitter and other fun shenanigans. Is triple S pronounced? It is, but I have a lisp, so I can't do that. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Sorry to bring. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm privileged to be able to say. Thank you. I don't actually have a list, but I don't want this to be a thing for us moving forward. I was just being an ass because I can. It's a strong start. <laughs> Friday happy hour episode of Das Killer Killer Base. <laughs> I'm not drunk. Yeah, this this is just uh I don't even know what we're riding on right now. Um, <laughs> but we are here to talk about all of the latest and greatest things going on. Um, unfortunately, um, some sad news that we have uh, heard today is that Hank Aaron passed away um, at the age of 89 or 86. I'm sorry, not 89, but it's just... Whenever I saw him, he always just seemed to be so jovial and outgoing and this kind of larger than life persona. So it's very hard to imagine not seeing that um, in a baseball world where uh, star athletes are becoming harder and harder to come by in, in terms of having that level of stature. Yeah. So I think, you know, like you said, I, I feel like Hank Aaron you just grow up hearing about him, even if you weren't really a baseball fan, he was pretty ubiquitous. And then also, um, you know, coming from Alabama, he was definitely somebody we talked about, which it's true. Yeah. It's interesting because in Alabama, I mean, we've had a lot of like phenomenal black athletes come out of Alabama, you know, like Jesse Owens, Bo Jackson, Mm -hmm. all Alabama ties. I could go on. So I think, just 
growing up, we heard a lot about him and, you know, took, took pride in that. Um, for all else he can say, um, you know, obviously he went through struggles because of where he was from and while he was living there. So I think that's something interesting to consider about him. And, um, but yeah, I mean, even though, you know, like you said, I haven't been following the sport for that long. It's pretty crazy. And, you know, it always sucks to watch a hero go, but at the same time, I think it's the legacy he's left. It's really memorable. And most of the stories I've seen people recounting today are just like very fond of him and, and, you know, just bringing him back into the forefront and celebrating all he's done. So I think that's, even though it's sad, it's like kind of nice to see that today. Yeah. And, you know, on top of that, it's, there's also the whole uh, civil rights component too, where, I mean, he had done so much for the civil rights movement and really just in highlighting um, black excellence, um, not just in baseball, but in everyday life. And, and I think it's something that uh, a legacy that he really left a, a huge mark on um, with modern day baseball, like going through today. And, um, you know, not that he's anywhere of that ilk, but like when you see somebody like a Tim Anderson greasing the cover of a, a video game, it, it's so cool to see black baseball players represented in that way because there are so few um, in general, let alone with that level of celebrity um, in today's game. Yeah. Um, and I think you bringing that up is really interesting because I saw a few people today talking about, um, you know, how he'd struggled with racism throughout his life. Not only, you know, not only was he an activist and he, he worked to kind of stop it, but also, um, he just dealt with that. That was just, and I mean, I'm sure, you can speak to that and any black person can speak to that about having to deal with racism. And that's just like something you are going to deal with, unfortunately at this point in time. And you have that experience. And I saw a lot of people, you know, kind of talking about how um, white people kind of like mythologize a lot of like black athletes and, Absolutely. you know, yeah, there's like turn, turn the other cheek mentality. Mm -hmm. and, I actually, you brought up Tim Anderson and that's something I thought was interesting in that regard, because, you know, I think a lot of people get rubbed the wrong way by, by Tim Anderson because he's outspoken. Um, and I, you know, he's, he's badass and they take yep. him in a certain way. And I, I definitely was like thinking of him when people were talking about, about that and his attitude is something that like, not even that long ago. And, and still to this day, it might, he might not have been able to like get away with in terms of people freaking out about it and thinking he should behave in a certain way. Totally. Um, and, you know, once again, not comparing the two players at all, but um, I, I think it's one of the unfortunate things that has come out of uh, Jackie Robinson's legacy too. Um, you know, w one of the reasons why, uh, Jackie Robinson is so celebrated, especially in the black community, is because of his his fight. Like he was never one to back down. And as much as a lot of the stories involve the acceptance of his white peers, Jackie let everyone know what he was all about. So it, there was no question about his effort or his skill set. And he wanted to make sure everybody knew that. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, and I think, too, uh, you and I were kind of talking about this before, um, before the podcast a little bit before we started recording. Um, I think you can kind of see the same, too, in different sport, but Jesse Owens. Um, yeah the same thing like you know he was who he was and in a, a crazy time when it's like even in the u.s it was like you dude you're, you're still people are looking at you as a second class citizen you don't have like that good of a chance at things he was still like 
very much himself and very brave. And I think, yeah, it's easy, especially for white people to be like, look at him stand up in the, the face of like all of this trial and like turn the other cheek when really it's like, when you put him as a, a human that has emotions, and I think people forget to do that, that are white, that it's like, holy shit, that's like a whole new level of bravery, you know? So yeah. I feel like that's, that's not a lot, a lot of what those guys did for white people, yeah. especially. Absolutely. Like we forget. And, you know, I think that's where, um, you know, I, I think when we talk about the state of baseball in general right now, not even just with black athletes, but even in terms of how, you know, how stars are treated this, you know, in this day and age compared to how they used to be treated, where a guy like Mike Trout, who's the, you know, best player in baseball, but he could probably walk through any mall in America and not get recognized, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, um, there's just this weird localization of the game where you don't necessarily have those transcendent stars. Um, so I, I do have to say, I, I not just as a Sox fan, um, I'm massively appreciative of the, of Tim Anderson getting highlighted on the cover of RBI baseball, which you know, historically hasn't been the best game recently, but I'm definitely going to buy a copy of it now. And I suggest all you Sox fans do the same to show your support. But to even put somebody like him on the cover is huge, um, I think, for the culture of the sport. And I think we'll have some pretty interesting ramifications because, like, Tim Anderson is literally the first star the White Sox have had since Frank Thomas. Well, I'm going to have to get it to you then, Tommy. <laughs> you told me to do it, so I'm going to do it now, too. <laughs> but yeah, um, and I, I don't know. That's interesting to me that you bring that up, that he's the first star since Frank Thomas. Like, what do you think it is that has set him apart from other people that have been on the team? I, I think it's just, it's his, it's his attitude. It's his swagger. I mean, you know, and a lot of people say a Braves better or, you know, some of the other guys are better. I'm, I'm not talking about the most talented. I'm talking about having the full package that can be presented in front of a camera where people want to engage with that person. Tim Anderson has done a better job building his brand as an athlete than any other White Sox athlete in recent history, not named Frank Thomas. And that that just takes there's a level of not just skill on the field but off the field that it takes to do that um and you know there there's other guys that, that people like and swear by like your aj Krasinski's or jose abreu's or mark burley's but you know none of those guys did a lot of selling themselves you know like jose abreu when he came here you know, he didn't have family here. He didn't have family present here. He was just trying to make it. And for all of the incredible work that he's done on the field, <clears throat> he's been largely soft-spoken outside of that. And that's fine. It hasn't been until recently where he's become comfortable enough to speak out more, kind of let his personality show more. Um, and that's, that's great and that's fine. And I think, you know, I do think he will be more highly regarded because of that. Um, most recently, I think he was on the top, I think he was number three or four on the top um, first baseman in Major League Baseball, according to MLB Network. So, mm -hmm. you know, the more the that you're willing to kind of put yourself out there the more the press and the media start seeing that and the more you know all-star games and all that stuff you start to get people will start to embrace that larger than uh larger personality but you know tim's had it from the beginning yeah and i do wonder you know i think anytime you have a large personality like that it can be kind of like divisive i feel like there's always kind of detractors from that i wonder oh, too of course Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I wonder how much, you know, the political landscape has played into it. Probably a lot. Um, and that's interesting too, I think, to think about in their respect in their regard to like Hank Aaron 
and Jackie Robinson um, and everybody else we've talked about so far. Um, I think, yes, it's one, it's interesting to see a personality on the field when, you know, things are, maybe they're not great, but there's nothing like big going on. But I think Mm -hmm. especially, you know, we're looking for more, we're looking for a little bit more from our, our players when there's times where things might not be so secure. I think we're looking for feedback or some people are, I know I am. Uh, I know not everybody feels that way though, um, which is where the kind of divisiveness comes from, I guess. But I feel like, you know, when, when those guys kind of, uh, took a stand, I guess, regarding like black lives matter, that was interesting to see. And personally, I like seeing that, but I know again, not everybody does. Um, and that is really something that stands out to me and he's had the opportunity to kind of stand up for during everything going on in the world lately. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I'm glad you brought that up because I was, I've been thinking a lot about the hall of fame voting um, for this year. And, (laughs) you know, I, I've given up on the idea of anyone being, um, getting in for the class of 2021, which is just an absolute shame. Um, I hate this voting process so much, um, for, for a lot of reasons, but you know, the top vote getter shockingly is Kurt Schilling. (laughs) And (laughs) talk about outspoken. There, there are very few people that are more outspoken than Kurt Schilling and his resume as it were, has suffered because of it. And I personally think he should have been in a long time ago, but at the same time, there's a lot of guys on this list that I feel like should get in because um, I, I think the minute that Bud Selig got into the Hall of Fame, all bets were off as far as steroid users are concerned. And, yeah. you know, if Ty Cobb can be in the Hall of Fame, then so can Kurt Schilling. <laughs> so there, yeah. there's a lot of not nice people that are in the Hall of Fame. Um, and I I just think I think it's hard because you there is a morality clause yeah. in the vote that makes the press kind of not only the you know, they have to judge not only on field talent, which based on some of the guys that get in or get snubbed, they're not necessarily the best at. But then on top of that, they have to make these judgment calls in terms of this morality clause. Yes. Yes. That seems super. I don't know. I mean, so I saw a few weeks ago and I'm sorry, I don't remember his name. Um, it was the guy who it was his first time being able to vote in the Hall of Fame. Um, and he withheld from voting for anybody, I believe. I could mm-hmm. be wrong with that. Yes, I know so, I know what you're talking about. Yep. Yeah, and I'm sorry I forgot his name. Um, so I saw he didn't vote and people were like, Oh, come on, which is fair. But then, you know, this week I saw something brought up again. You know, people are are citing part of the the BBWAA's laws about voting and it's like voting shall be based upon the player's record playing ability integrity sportsmanship character and contribution Mm -hmm. to the team or teams on which the player played so reading that and after watching like somebody not voting based on morality but then we're gonna cite this in terms of morality i'm kind of like so which is it (laughs) like where are we going with this like you're right it is it is hard to draw that line, especially when, when you're talking about morality, that's like different people's opinions, basically like morals are subjective and cultural and it gets real weird really quickly. Um, and that's one thing that's been interesting for me as kind of more of a new person to watch. Cause I'm like, what are we judging on? <laughs> I don't even know. My whole feedback and this, is what I said when I think it was Ken Rosenthal, um, kind of did his whole hand wringing over Omar. Oh yeah. Yeah. And whether or not I forgot about that. Yeah, well (laughs) he probably blocked it out. (laughs) 
<laughs> yes, I, like I forgot about that and the whole conversation about morality and, and talking about, you know, the guy who's not voting kind of because of uh, take a stand on morals and then people like Kurt Schilling and then also steroid usage. Yeah. I, the one thing that would probably most directly affect me, of course, I did block it out. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I mean, I just, I want it. I just, I bring it up because Omar Vizquel, who, for those of you that don't know, um, Omar Vizquel really throughout his career, mainly as a coach, I don't think it ever came up during his playing career, um, had been investigated for um, domestic violence um, against his wife several times. This wasn't just like a one-time incident. Um, mm -hmm. Nothing has happened in, happened in terms of formal charges, which is what some people are going to hang their hat on. Um, but you also see a pattern of behavior that I think, if one were to call it disturbing, wouldn't necessarily be a stretch. Um, so a lot of people, rightfully so, haven't voted for him. Um, mm -hmm. Honestly, I think he was kind of a borderline case anyway. But, mm -hmm. um, you know, that that's one thing. But what is troubling to me with the voting process is that initially you had the hand wringing over steroids and mm -hmm. everybody being like, oh, but the Hall of Fame is supposed to be pure and we don't want guys that did steroids and all this other stuff. And then it became, okay, let's be realistic. There are likely guys that are in the Hall of Fame already that have taken steroids. So how mm -hmm. do you determine who should or shouldn't get in based on whether or not they took steroids? Yeah. Bud Selig yeah. got in, who was really the commissioner responsible for steroids in most people's minds. And that kind of blew the doors off on that argument. <laughs> yeah. So now it's turned into all of these other morality conversations where whether it's like the good of the game or the good of the uh, free press, if you're looking at Kurt Schilling or how good of a person you are, if you look at Roger Clemens or, um, you know, Omar Vizquel or even Todd Helton to a certain degree, it's like all these different factors are playing into it. And it's like analysis. It's paralysis by analysis, essentially, where mm -hmm. like it feels like no one's going to get in because everyone has come up with so many reasons for none of these folks to get in. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. And I think for me, again, my newcomer perspective, it is kind of interesting watching and learning about the Hall of Fame votes and absolutely confusing because of the points you mentioned, it is like, okay, where, where are we drawing the line? Like, and to the point about steroids in my mind, and it seems like this is, this is what I'm picking up from other people and correct me if I'm wrong. Like we've talked about sign stealing in the past, steroids mm -hmm. are just kind of like, well, that's been part of it. And that's just how it is. And maybe there are bigger repercussions now to a certain extent. Um, that's just, that was part of baseball and maybe continues to be and has continued to be. Um, so beyond that though, what things are we going to place on people to say, okay, that's too far. And, right. and it gets more complicated be because for the domestic abuse stuff, you know, you know, it's a, if we're being honest, it's a mostly men voting for other men. And it's not, that's definitely not quite the same as if I think you had some women in there. Um, not that men can't be in, be victims of domestic abuse at all. No, um, but, it, but you're right. Tables are turned a little. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, I think, I, you know, I think where I, for me, ultimately, I understand why character is part of the voting process. I don't know that it necessarily should be because then you're trying to 
balance like how bad of a thing does it have to be for you to not get in like <laughs> you know and that just gets uncomfortable and weird because like as an example uh roger clemens um had a relationship with an underage girl mm-hmm. so you know <laughs> but he's sitting at 72 percent of the votes because of his on-field performance so is it just like is it a if you're really 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 good it doesn't matter how much of a trash person you are because you were so good on the field or is it genuinely all things are weighed equally because i don't think all things are weighed equally and i just wish people were more honest about that yeah no i agree completely um and it is hard because that clause they put that in there and it's like but what does this mean like you could pick it apart all day and it it can mean different things to different people and i think for me thinking about this what's hard is you know we have the hall of fame like you've pointed out we don't know what people are getting in there based on besides performance you know and if morality is part of it okay but then what i think about too is like kids they're eventually going to figure all of this out and find out like most people do like in life you've had you grew up with these heroes you know and then you learn like humans are humans humans make mistakes what are we gonna put put aside and what are we not gonna put aside i've been thinking about this a lot lately because of martin luther king jr day you know i saw a lot of Uh, I think a lot of people try to dismiss his work by pointing out his personal flaws, um, which it's much bigger than baseball. Um, But I think, you know, kind of, kind of being aware of somebody's flaws and imperfections as a human and deciding what still like keeps their legacy intact and what makes it worthwhile I don't know. I mean, at what point do we want to sacrifice all of somebody or not? And I don't know. That's very complicated. It's a very complicated thing. It is. And, you know, I, I guess that's why I, I, I personally don't like hearing writers complain about it because it's an honor to be in the position to make that kind of judgment. So to say that it's too hard it's like okay well that's your job and you're not the one year that um the hall of fame vote was outsourced uh to a fan vote which actually ended up being one of the better ballots that i'd seen um they everybody was mortified like how could you have fans participate in this you know vaulted process that we hold dearly and so on and so forth but at the same time if you're not voting anyone in and you're going year after year after year where you have some of these names that have been up here for five six seven years because nobody can figure out whether or not they're deserving like that's just ridiculous to me yeah yeah that's a good point um and it's I really hate to be talking about like governmental parallels, but everything we're talking about (laughs) very much like there are so many parallels right now to like everything going on with politics and stuff and what we're talking about, because you're right, like by not voting, you know, yeah, you're not, maybe you're abstaining from voting for somebody who you personally think is a bad character, but there's other people on there. Like, are all of them, I mean, most people have some sort of like morally object thing going on if you dig far enough in. Um, but not voting at all is, is really. You're hurting everyone. Yeah. Yeah. You are. And like you said, it's an honor to do it. Um, but on the same hand, like what you pointed out about when fans were able to vote, it was a little different. I mean, it, it would be good to see that if you want if you have this hall of fame and it's to honor people and in a way i mean it's a it's a profit maker to you as well why not yeah i mean you know just to sum it up for me i mean i just i look at 
a hall of fame as kind of a warts and all this is this encompasses this sport and that's how basketball approaches it that's how football approaches it baseball seems to be the one sport where they can't really figure out what they want it to be and in the quest of trying to sweep as many black marks as they can under the surface it's only made things worse and you can apply that to steroids you can apply that to um the treatment of the negro leagues and integration in baseball you can Mm -hmm. apply that to the um you know weird history of not even mentioning you know women in baseball until a movie comes out you can (laughs) there there are a lot of different angles that you can take with this and you know it i'm not necessarily a big haul everybody gets in kind of person but i think that you need to leave it up to people where you can say hey this person is in the hall of fame but they weren't exactly the greatest person ever. Like they played a great, you know, they played great on the field, off the field. You don't want to be anywhere near them. And that's fine. And I don't think there's anything wrong with showing that this is like a full 360 human being and not this, you know, God-like thing. Yeah. And I agree with you completely. I would prefer to know, you know, I don't need to know everything about somebody, but if we're going to have somebody and put them on a pedestal slash celebrate them, it's best to know some of those things. And Mm -hmm. I feel like it's probably, it's healthier just as a society. I mean, to know, and I think it does depend on how you, how you phrase it, but to know that our heroes or people kids aspire to be like they weren't perfect like and you don't always have to be perfect and you may have problems and you know i'm not going to excuse shitty people um no but even even the shitty people it's like hey kurt is a shitty person but guess what we think that he performed well enough that he's in the hall of fame okay fine own it like you know i would rather that and same thing for omar viscal like i would rather it just be like hey omar viscal is clearly a really shitty individual but he was so amazing defensively that i just feel like i needed to include him and just own it like that that i would rather hear than just kind of this waffling back and forth of oh but the moral clause and why right. am I judging character? Who am I to judge? It, it's just, it. that's the stuff that just irritates the shit out it of me. It is. And honestly, like, I think, I think you brought up Ken Rosenthal earlier. I think yeah. it was him that kind of, like, explained his decision about mm-hmm. Omar Vizcal. And it was very, very, like, dude, you didn't even have to explain this. And by explaining it, you're making it way worse. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> I was like, please stop explaining it because basically the way you are explaining it is, yes, I knew all of this and still I don't care. Right. <laughs> when if you are, I, yeah, it was just extremely uncomfortable, made him look a lot worse. And, you know, I, that's one thing I'm like, oh, I'll certainly never forget that you said this. <laughs> you know, I wasn't even like looking for that. And now that he, it's out there, I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and it was just like, okay, why did you feel the need to... So it's like you said right. all this to prove what? Right. Do you want, like, a pat on the back? Right. I don't know if you're looking for... Defending your decision? Like, I don't know if you... Yeah, it's well, a very again, weird thing. Like, if you... I don't understand the need to feel that either. Because it's like, it, it shouldn't be something that's, quote, fun or, like, makes you feel good or anything like that. It's like, no, as somebody that has been here and covered the ins and outs of the game, it is part of my job to make the decision on who is worthy and not worthy and just own it at that level. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, And I mean, like you said, it's very, and as we've been talking about, it's it's very difficult when morals get involved. Yeah. who lets what slide, you know, different things mean different things to different people. And 
from their cultural background, it could mean something completely different to me or than to you or anybody listening. So it, it does make it very hard. And you're right, there has to be some kind of <laughs> I like it's interesting to think about people talking about their feelings uh, or like <laughs> their decisions revolving around voting people in for the Hall of Fame. And maybe it's probably because I haven't really paid attention before. But this year I'm like, this is a lot of drama. This is. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's not usually this bad. It, it's it, you usually get a few folks that are just like, I'm not voting for anyone or, you know, nobody deserves to get in because they all did steroids. But it's never been this bad um, that I can remember. <laughs> But, you know, speaking of questionable moral judgment, um, I'd like to move on to um, Mr. Tony LaRusa. TLO? Yeah, making, <laughs> making moves um, and helping to get his uh, closer that he so desperately desired. Yes. Some thunder from down under by the name of Liam yes. Henderson. Very excited. Um, although I think at this point for me in the season, or sorry, not really in the season, we're not in the season on our hot stove. I'm our hot stove. That's more of a lukewarm stove. Um, I am just kind of like, uh, I think because we had like Lance Lynn happen and mm-hmm. then Adam Eaton happen and there was a huge lull. Now I'm just like, okay, we'll see. We'll see what's happening next. <laughs> so pretty much any response you're going to get from me, unless we get somebody I don't like a lot, then I'm going to be like, that's great. But yes, I saw there was, um, you know, some kind of most people reacting to Liam Hendricks were like, hell yeah. But I did see money come up and spending with him come up again. So I don't know if you Which have It's always funny because people are like, spend the money, spend the money. And then they do. And they're like, no, not like that. Yeah. <laughs> Anything yep. but that. Um, yep. I, the only thing I thought was weird was the whole deferred payment things, because I just, um, I, I think it's funny, like how reticent the Sox are at spending money. So it's like, okay. We'll give you $15 million, but then we also want to be able to have an option where we'll do a $15 million buyout and then extend it over the course of a bunch of years. So that way we're not giving it to you all at once. Like if that doesn't say we're a cheap ass organization, I don't know what does. It's like, yeah. we really don't want to pay you, but if we do, we want to be able to get rid of you, but then we want to be able to get rid of you without paying you the money all at once. We'd rather do it over the course of 20 years. <laughs> like, that, that's so just incredibly weird. Um, but, you know, that aside, I was happy for the, the signing. Um, I liked Colomay. I thought he did a, a good enough job where they probably could have brought him back for if not the same, probably cheaper. Mm-hmm. It's just negotiated that ahead of time. Um, but Hendricks is a, you know, he killed the Sox when, mm-hmm. he, when he faced them, especially in the playoffs. Um, has a good head on his shoulders um, and, you know, seems to be the, the right kind of fit in terms of the clubhouse guy. Um, I just, when I look at area of need, Closer wasn't what came to my mind. Um, yes. And I'm just looking at all the other established outfielders, hint, hint, wink, wink, that were signed <laughs> recently. And I'm just like, wow, that would have been a nice signing for the White Sox that currently have Adam Eaton. And, <laughs> yeah. and you know, still questions around dh where it's like we have no idea what weird um i don't think you're there's anyone on the roster that could play dh every day and people keep trying to make eloy like fit into that which will never happen yeah i've seen a lot of people say that and it's like i don't know why are we trying to make this happen (laughs) yeah let's stop trying to make this a thing yeah 
Yeah, no, uh, I've, I've had a like side conversation with a friend who was like, what else do they, cause I was like, I wonder though, if they're going to make any, any moves anymore. And they were like, what else do they have to do? And I was like, do you really feel like our right field is solved? Yeah. Because <laughs> I don't. <laughs> well, and it's just the other thing too, is that like, especially when you look at it compared to the Padres, which if a move has been made this offseason, it's likely been by either the Padres, the Mets, or the White Sox. So you look at what the Padres have done, where their pitching depth is, is so insane that when Clevinger comes back next year, they're going to have six legitimate starters. Mm-hmm. And they have infielders on top of infielders where their bench and utility guys could probably be starters on half of the other teams in their league. Yeah. And the Sox, like, you know, when we, whenever there is mentioning of Sox getting a starter or the Sox getting another DH or the Sox getting another outfielder, it's always like, well, where are they going to play? Because you have Kopech or you have uh, Madrigal or you have this guy or that guy, you have Eaton. And it's like, you don't know what these guys are going to be through a 162 game season. Yes. Yeah. We really don't don't even know if they'll play a hundred games, let alone 162. Nope. Yep. And, um, I think I saw, uh, our good buddy Bennett bring up, um, about Jose Abreu. And I think, you know, some people might get gotten a little spicy about it being like, (laughs) he was, he was, an MVP for sure this season, but it was like he, he had a few good months and we don't know what that would have been like in a, a full season. And mm-hmm. I hope I don't piss anybody off saying this, but I mean, it's true. We don't know what anybody right now and the current team setup, how they're going to do in a full season, let alone years. Yeah. And I mean, that's why you want as much depth as possible so that you don't run into a situation where let's say Eloy runs into the seats again and he's out for a month and now you don't have an outfielder. Yeah. God. I I mean, you know, I don't like saying that, but it's like, you've seen his adventures in left field. It is, there's a more than 0% chance of that happening. Yeah. And then it is silly, but then when he is out, yeah, you're right. Absolutely. It's terrifying, especially towards the end of the season. It's like, Oh God, we can't, can't deal with this, you know? I mean, yeah. even like when he did something silly, like mess, what was it? What did he do when they were like celebrating the division? Oh, when he turned his ankle. ankle. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. I was like, this is so like goofy, yeah. but also we don't have anyone. And really? I mean, even on the infield, it's like you have Mankata who you don't know what he's going to be this year. Mm-hmm. Um, Madrigal who hasn't played a, full year and we'll probably have to deal with a sophomore slump going into this year. You don't know what that's going to look like. And you also just have no idea what's going to happen with the pitching. Like I think Kopech could be a very good starter, but mm-hmm. at the same time, I he's been injured. He hasn't pitched a whole heck of a lot and off season routines are wonderful but that doesn't mean anything until you actually play through an entire season. Yeah, absolutely. I I completely agree. Well, with that in mind, we will take a quick commercial break. And when we come back, we will talk more things baseball. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. 
It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Baseball. 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 <laughs> that should be you know how they have like carrie underwood sing for monday night football they need us to do baseball whatever That's night what i said i want michael mcdonald to do the theme song for our podcast killer beats Talking baseball. Talking about baseball. Ah, it's perfect. This collaboration (laughs) needs to happen. Um, so yeah, um, back to teams that are either actually signing players or not actually signing players. I know it seems, you know, we've obviously been speculating. That's what we do and try to take educated, educated guesses. But it is interesting to watch pretty much everybody we kind of talked about uh, go to other teams. And, um, you know, I think Liam Hendricks has been an exception to that. Because yeah. that is somebody that we were talking about for a while and then it went quiet and it was like, hmm. Well, now I know I, why it took so long. Go on. Yeah. Well, I, you know, looking at the deferred money, I'm sure it took his agent, you know, three days to stop laughing at it. And then he gave it to <laughs> Liam and Liam took four days to stop laughing at it. And, you know, then they were like, OK, fine, we'll accept your ridiculous proposal. Yeah. Well, do you have any other speculoos about what might happen? I saw the one post on Reddit by an anonymous person um, about our our dear friends who is not the mo- the movie star <laughs> Corbin Burnson from Major League that's not who it is it's Corbin Bern no now I'm going to say Bernstein Tommy please help me <laughs> I was enjoying the like the Bernstein Bears reference that you were doing it's Corbin Burns that's about where I was. Go- I was almost a Bernstein, and then I was like, "Nope, that's not." We're it. not getting a bear. <laughs> Thank God. It's, Although that would spice it up a little. It would. It's Corbin Burns. Um, Burnson pitched phenomenally uh, last year. Now, granted, as we have said for everybody, it's only a couple of months, so that's not necessarily to say that. He's figured it all out, but it makes it's a sensible trade for the Brewers because it's probably as high as his stock is going to go. And like I said, for the White Sox, they need pitching. So why not? Um, And it may not be uh, wet butt 23 or Katy Perry's (laughs) booty hole. But there was a anonymous source on Reddit that made it sound like this trade was a sure thing, and it hasn't seemed to have come to fruition yet. Yeah. Um, yes, Tommy informed me earlier, for all of you listening, about the former Reddit rumors that came true and the user's wet butt 23 and Katy Perry's booty hole. So we've both said it now for the podcast. Um, (laughs) Sorry to any of my future employers that hear this. Um, So that was a fun learning experience. It's just reporting news. (laughs) We are. We're just reporting facts. This is hard hitting stuff here. It is. Yeah. So, I mean, who knows though? Like you said, it, it has come true before. Maybe we'll see something in a few days. Maybe not. I mean, yeah, I'm, even Han's most recent comments kind of telegraph things where I, reading between the lines, it seemed like 
he didn't have a desire to do anything through free agency, probably because they didn't want to spend any more money if they didn't have to, but he would be open to a trade. Um, so I'm sure that if the Sox needed or got an offer that included, you know, wasn't asking for the moon, um, they would be willing to either take on some young talent or take on a veteran that might be on the uh, tail end of a contract um, just to not have to deal with the, the salary intake. They'd be willing to do it, but who knows? Um, I, I do hope that it happens because I do think the Sox need more depth. I don't yes. want us talking about, you know, Yearman Mercedes or... Um, Zach Collins or any of those guys DHing in mm. March and April and being like, ooh, one of them could get hot. And boy, would that be exciting. Because I just, at this point, they are what they are. Like they're 4A guys that are too good for the minors but haven't really proven themselves in the majors and will probably kind of drift back and forth between mediocrity and being slightly above average. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I think it's very easy. I mean, I find myself doing it to look on the previous shortened season mm-hmm. with rose, rose colored glasses on. Um, but yeah, you're right. It's just lacking in depth and it is a little scary to watch like the Padres do what they're doing and the Mets, but I'm mainly the Padres and we're and it's kind of like, oh, man, we are not prepared yeah. for a whole season. <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> as much I say as I love our guys and stuff. We're not we're not yeah. ready. No. And I and I say this as somebody that's like a huge Andrew Vaughn fan. Like I have haven't really felt this confident in a White Sox prospect in quite some time. And I, I can say with 98 percent certainty that I feel very strongly that he's going to be an all-star caliber bat. But even with that in mind, I don't think it makes any sense to assume that he's just going to take over the DH role this year. Yeah. And and just be fine with it too. Like, I mean, he might take it over, but I'm pretty sure that first month is going to be him struggling and everybody being like, Hey, wouldn't it have been nice if we had signed somebody like Nelson Cruz is hitting 500 with 50 home runs for the twins. Why didn't the White Sox sign him? Like, I don't want to have that conversation. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but we might be. I mean, I think right now it's kind of like it's getting close. And I guess there can always be moves that happen. But yeah, kind of like we'll see. I mean, I don't know. Um, I was I know I've, I've seen a rumor out there, too, about fans, fan attendance at the games. I'm not sure if you've seen that as well. Um, if you had any thoughts about it, I'm I'm not getting my hopes up. Um, I think what will end up happening is, um, probably around July. I, well, probably June for some areas, I would expect to see fans in attendance the same way they did for football. But I would say probably July or August would be, the time frame that it wouldn't surprise me if a good portion of games were at 20 to 25% capacity. Yeah. Um, I won't be surprised by that either. I, you know, I've no, there's been the ongoing issue of marketing emails being sent to people about buying ticket packages. And it's kind of like a, hit or miss thing it's like i don't know like i don't feel comfortable really doing that when we don't know what's going to happen yet and you know the more we find out about as far as a vaccination plan that there isn't one um yeah it would be really interesting to see how that unfolds and and then how it's going to tie into the budget as well when they talk inevitably talk about that uh moving forward when you know also, as we talked about a little bit beforehand, there's not a Sox Fest this year. No, which, um, yeah, let's get into that. Because I, I don't understand why the White Sox didn't think that that 
I, I you know that just seems like such a slam dunk idea. I, I don't know why they didn't just get a little Zoom together and had some Q and A's, or um, you know, even if they wanted to charge for it, they could have done an interactive fan experience that I think would have been fun for fans that that miss baseball and miss the White Sox. Yeah, yeah, um, and I think you mentioned a few other teams that were doing kind of a digital a digital thing. I'm not sure if you had, I think you said the Brewers. I wasn't sure if you, who else I couldn't find it, but I swear I saw something about the Brewers doing a a virtual fan convention. Um, Maybe it was another team, but I, you know, it's, it's not that hard this day and age to (laughs) to set up a virtual meeting. Um, That shouldn't be a tall ask, but I also, you know, the, this kind of goes back to what we were talking about originally with the game of baseball not being the best at um, putting fan interaction and fan engagement at top of mind. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, uh, I know I almost got to go to Sox Fest last year. Um, I didn't end up getting to go. And I know I personally would have liked to be able to attend even a, a digital one, even if it was through Zoom, just because I do think it really does help as far as getting people excited. Um, it would have been a super easy moneymaker for the White Sox, um, mm-hmm. or they could have, you know, they could have done something with it, like donated it to charity or raffled some of it off. So I, <laughs> I think having talked about how the season was affected um, and the and money, like the income was affected, and then seeing some of the deals being signed, but then it's like, they're not going to have easy wins, like doing something like that. It's very funny to me. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. Um, I, I think you have spring training right around the corner too. Mm-hmm. And it, that's usually the time where you have fans flying out to Arizona and Florida to be there and they had um for a little while they had like a music festival even um in arizona for fans to engage with their sports teams and hear music and all that none of that stuff is going to be happening this year obviously so it just seems weird that there's no plan to speak of around hey we're ramping up for the baseball season and we really Mm -hmm. want you to be a part of it yeah. Yeah. It's, they have a, they send out a lot of emails about things they're doing, which are good. I mean, it's good stuff you can engage in. Um, but yeah, I think it would have been interesting to do something a bit more interactive. And, and I think the closest thing to a Sox Fest is having some kind of Zoom call. You know, Zoom's become our replacement for, or whatever kind of video call um, mm-hmm. that's become our replacement for in-person meetings and stuff like that. So, yeah, I, I'm surprised by that. So, you know, with that in mind, if you're out there listening to us, White Sox, I don't know why you would be, but if you are, um, <laughs> create a Zoom. Give us an opportunity to engage with your product. Let us take your money. <laughs> Yeah. Take our money. Yeah. I would I would give like ten to fifteen dollars to I do. I mean I would too. Like I yeah. They keep selling these crappy hats. Maybe if they invested some of that money into actually having a fan experience, like we wouldn't have to buy shitty new era hats that looked like they were designed by a, a three year old with too much time. <laughs> yeah. And how much how much were Sox, uh, Sox Fest tickets traditionally? Oh, they're expensive. Yeah. So it would be interesting, even as an experiment, for them to see, like, okay, we're not going to have this. And it's not going to be the same. But we can offer something a bit more accessible in, in terms of actual money um, yeah. to people who usually maybe they can't go to Sox Fest, But, mm-hmm. hey, you have a laptop. You got 5 or $10 maybe even more um a little more i i don't know but try that out and see like you might get something you might right. find out hey 
a lot more people or participate. But, I mean, it certainly you know, would have been like a lower cost. So yeah, totally. Um, and you wouldn't have to worry about all the production stuff either. Right. Exactly. Yeah. You've definitely, uh, well, you and I both have worked in that live event field and mm -hmm. it gets crazy expensive very fast. Um, so just that alone is a ton of savings. But, you know, we'll see. I, I do. I'm still hopeful that there's something in the works, but, you know, knowing baseball's history, I won't be surprised if there isn't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look at us. We're full of great ideas, but, you know, we're not in charge, so. No, we're just pawns. <laughs> we're just here to talk out, talk out our asses. We are. Out of our wet butts. <laughs> <laughs> wet butt 23 there you go well <laughs> on that note that concludes the um fifth installment of the uh, killer bees podcast stinko and we will try to not leave you all hanging um you know a month at a time and we'll be back soon and for those yeah. of you that don't follow us already, make sure that you uh, follow the Killer Bees podcast on Twitter at Killer Bee Pod. We're real now. We're real boys. And, and you'll we know it's it. real when you see Michael McDonald float floating on top. <laughs> as he Michael McDonald is our mascot. He is. And with All that, right. I bid you adieu and have a good night. Peace out, mommy.